Wow, Forever House. See that picture over there? That's, that's not my best look. It's, uh, I need to delete that off everything, wherever it is. But that head, it's well proportioned, right? <laughs> it's a good... If you're going to go bald, you want a head like that. That's what I'm saying. You may be seated. Everyone grab your seats. Uh, it's good to be a forever house. Did you enjoy the worship music this morning? Uh, man, you guys have a unique sound coming out of this house. And um, I really, really enjoyed your, your praise and worship this morning. I particularly like bass players. Um, you know, I always watch those bass players. And normally, normally in church, they're just, they're just standing there just looking cool. They don't, they just, sometimes they just look disgusted in how good they are when... Would they just do that when they're, when they're playing the bass? But that was a worshipping bass player, you know? He was getting in and worshipping. I like that. That's my kind of bass player. And, and all of the singers were, uh, but particularly the lady that was uh, standing over here. Well, you are, you are anointed. You are anointed. The presence of God started to move when you, when you let loose. You, you shouldn't bottle that up and you shouldn't hide that out. You know, you need to get... Get that voice out there because that's going to minister to some people. Amen. Well, well, uh, it's great to be in church. I love, I love coming to church. I, I am particularly happy that this church has a bit of culture about it. I love going to churches and seeing some of the bros and uh, some of the cuzzies. You know what I'm saying? That's, uh, I feel right at home. Some people think I'm part Tongan because I've got a gold tooth, but it's, it's not true. So um, I've got, a, I've got a, a friend's church on the Gold Coast that I, I minister at a little bit, uh, Brother uh, Pastor Dan Tiardi, and uh, it's, it's uh, pretty much um, South Pacific uh, Islanders, Fijians, Samoans. It's, it's, man, I, I love going to that church. They've got, they got a bit of rhythm about them there, and um, I love it. I love it. So it's good to be a church. Um, I... I want to um, send the love of some of my friends, Pastor Ben Naitoko. You know Pastor Ben Naitoko? He, uh, he told me to send his love to you guys. Normally, it would be him here as a guest minister, but um, he's pastoring a church now, so he's busy. So, uh, so he said, Glassy, that's, some people call me Glassy. He said, Glassy, would you, you know, uh, like to go and do this? I said, man, if, if, you, if you endorse me, I'll go. I'll, I'll, I'll put my hand up and I'll go. So this is my first time at Forever House. And uh, I've heard a lot about you guys. Uh, and I'm blessed to be here. So um, why, don't we, why don't we open up our Bibles if you can. And of course, I want to honor your pastors who are on their uh, vacation at the moment. How many know that pastors need vacations? It's... Um, it, I grew up in a pastor's household, and I used to think that my dad had the easiest job in the world, get up and talk for 40 minutes on a Sunday, and that's all he had to do. And, uh, and then I started pastoring myself, and then I realized, hey, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of, there's a lot of needs that you need to see to throughout the week, and your pastors uh, don't just have this as a full-time job. They have a full-time job as well. So uh, we, need to, we need to celebrate them. We need to pray for them. Um, uh, that, that God can continue to refresh them and, and uh, give them all that they need to do to fulfill the mission that he's called them to do on this planet. Um, have you got your Bibles? Mark chapter 2. I think we're going to put it up on the screen whenever they get rid of that face. 
over there. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, and I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. It's not quite as holy as the Old King James Version of the Bible, but it's kind of there. It's better than the Message Version of the Bible. It's the New King James Version. And it says, And again Jesus entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Say, in the house. Immediately, many people gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. Say, make room. room. Say, make room. room. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic man who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, say, breakthrough, They let him down on the bed which he was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic man, he said, son, your sins are forgiven you. When he saw their faith, he said, when he saw the people who went and got him, when he saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and some of the religious people were there and they were reasoning in their hearts. They said, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, he said, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic man, he said, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately, immediately, he arose, took up his bed, and went out of the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. We have never seen anything like this before. You know what will happen if we get unstuck from where we're at? This city, this suburb, where God's called you to will say things like, we have never seen anything like this before. If we would just get unstuck and start doing what God's called us to do, being who God's called us to be, the world will say, We have never seen anything like this before. And think about it. There's been some great revivals. There's been some great moves of God. There's been some great things that have happened. There's some great churches that have come out of Australia. But I believe that in this day, if we were to get unstuck, God would say, people would say, the community would say, cities, countries, the world would say, we have never seen anything like this before. Can I pray? Father, help me to say what I've got to say in a short amount of time. I pray that the church would be edified, you would be glorified, and hell would be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've been working on that prayer. That was a good one, eh? Uh, <laughs> I might say that one and use it again somewhere. <laughs> it's, um, have you ever been stuck? You ever been stuck? People get stuck in the craziest things in the craziest places. Um, I was, at, I was at a shopping center in Helensvale on, on the Gold Coast recently, and there was a, uh, an elderly lady. Look, I'm not an ageist or anything like that, but she was a, 
She was in a mature age. And uh, she was trying to get her car out of the car parking space. But, but in between many points turns, you know, she got stuck between two cars. And people were watching on as she was stuck there. And, you, you know, it was like those YouTube clips that you would, you would just wish that they would turn the wheels the other, and they'd be out. But no, she kept going back in, and, and she was stuck. She needed someone who was unstuck to come over and give her some instructions. If you turn your wheel this way, go back a little bit, come back, now you can get out of here. How many know that when you get stuck, you need someone who's unstuck to help you get unstuck? I was, um, many years ago now, I was going to McDonald's back when I, before I was saved and used to eat that kind of food. Um, and, and there was, a, as I was walking in the door, I never, uh, walking in the front gate there, I'll never forget it. There was this little kid. He had his head in the playground stuck between the fence posts. And everyone's standing around looking at this kid. And they're saying, how did he get his head stuck between the fence posts? And people are there and they're trying to bend the posts open, but... They can't do that, and they're, they're talking about, we need a saw, we need to get a, a hacksaw and cut the, cut the post to get this kid's head out. But how did he get his head in there in the first place? And they're trying to pull him, they're doing all of these things. And, and I was watching and thinking, this is crazy. He got it in there somehow. How are they going to get it out? It took an elderly gentleman who had been stuck before <laughs> to come along and say, he has to step back through the fence post. Because when you're little, you know, your shoulders are smaller than your head. So he had gone in and then couldn't get his head through the fence post. And everyone thought that he came from the inside and was trying to get out. So everyone was trying to move the fence post. But the older gentleman said he has to step back through and then he would be fine. And when I saw that, I thought, geez, that's smart. But it took someone who had been stuck before, that had seen someone stuck before, to help someone that was stuck get unstuck. Because stuck people can't help stuck people because stuck people are stuck. Stuck people need unstuck people to help stuck people get unstuck. You're going to go home and you're going to be like, that's going to be, you know when you hear the hook of a song and it gets stuck in your head for days like a worm gets stuck in there? It's going to be like this. Stuck people can't help stuck people. Stuck people are stuck. Stuck people need unstuck people to help stuck people get unstuck. So I was... I was, um, a few years ago, uh, I, I took a leadership team on this um, leadership training camp that we did uh, out at Boona. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's like this army-themed camp that they do. Uh, and and one, of the, one of the obstacles that you had to do was you had to go through a mud pit carrying a stretcher uh, over a log and then down through another mud pit. And um, my wife, she was pregnant at the time. And, and uh, so she was the lucky one that got on the stretcher. There was a couple of teams, and, and because I thought I was the leader, I thought I'd pick my team, you know, the team that would get us through easily. So there was one of my, one of my bros was this big Fijian guy, Inoki Ratudina. And I thought, Inoki's big and Inoki's strong. Inoki's going to help us get through this mud pit, no worries. So we're there, we got myself at the front and Noki on the other side and two little, fee, uh, two little, um, 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 two little uh, skinny little twins they were, just little fellas. We thought, oh, we'll just drag them through the mud, you know, that'll be fine. They won't help us much. But, but we had this team and we thought, this is going to be a good team. Alicia, my wife, don't worry about it. You're not going to get any mud on you. It's going to be sweet. 
She said, I better not get any mud on me. If I get mud on me, you're going to be in trouble, Paul. So I was, like, I was like, don't worry about it. We got a knocky. We got like three steps into that mud and a knocky sank like a lead balloon. <laughs> and knocky went down. I didn't know this at the time. And knocky had asthma. So knocky started to panic. And he just left my wife out there in the mud. Started trying to get to the side, you know. <laughs> I was there by myself trying to hold my wife up. She's yelling at me, Paul, Paul, I'm getting dirty. I said, I can't help you. I, I, I'm trying, I'm trying. But I was stuck. And Noki left. He was on the sideline trying to get, you know, some breath in. I'm trying. I had to leave my wife out there in the mud. Get to the sideline. I had to get unstuck before I could help her who was stuck get unstuck. And I've tried to explain to her because every now and then she brings it up. She says... Remember that time you left me when I was pregnant? (laughs) It was in the mud for five minutes. Come on, give me a chance now. (laughs) Make it sound so dramatic. But I went out there. I had to get unstuck before I could help her who was stuck get unstuck. And I said, Alicia, please, you know the philosophy. Stuck people can't help stuck people. Stuck people are stuck. Stuck people need unstuck people to help stuck people get unstuck. But, you know, so it is in life that sometimes we get stuck in things. We get stuck in the craziest things. I've got a friend who's stuck with the same hairdo for the last 10 years. You know those emo hairdos where they fuzz it up at the back, comb it down at the front? He's still rocking that. I told him, bro, you need to let it go. You need to... The only person who should have stuck with the same hairdo for the last 10 years is that guy there. Because there's nothing else we can do. <laughs> you just say goodbye and leave it at that. And the gentleman over here. Where... We're about the same. We go to the same barber, sir. (laughs) But, you know, stuck people can't help stuck people. And in life, this is what happens. This is what happens. We get get stuck in things. Uh, Stuck in disappointment. Stuck in hurt. Stuck in uh, negativity. People have spoken words over you sometimes. and And it's got you stuck. And, you know, you can come to church for years and be stuck. Spiritually stuck. Not doing what God's called you to do because you're stuck. But you're in the right place today. Because the Bible said that Jesus was in the house and he was willing to heal. How many know that he came to set the captives free? He can't, if you're stuck today, I don't know what you're stuck in. Maybe your marriage is stuck, your relationship's stuck, you're stuck in bad debt, stuck in addiction, that he came to set the captives free. So you don't have to leave here stuck today. Because he's unstuck and he helps stuck people get unstuck. There's a, there's a story we read about in the text. We read about uh, three people who were stuck. The religious people, the people who went to church, they were stuck. Jesus was stuck. And there was a man who was outside who was crippled and he was stuck. Three people stuck. You know, the church people, um, this is the first thing that will get you stuck, is religion. Religion, your efforts, your, your ability, your work, your, you trying to do it, that will get, get you stuck. So they're in the house this day, right? Um, there, there's all these people that have come to hear Jesus speak. All these scribes and religious people, they've come to hear Jesus speak, but they're stuck. They're stuck in their unbelief. See, make no mistake about it, Jesus claims to be the Messiah. But they can't receive that. They can't get their head around that. 
Wait a second, Jesus. You're the kid that we grew up with. Now you're claiming to be the Messiah. They're, they're stuck. Their understanding has limited them to what they can, re- so they can't receive anything from God. They're, they're stuck in their religion. You know, your understanding doesn't change who God is. Your understanding doesn't, your, your, your doctrine doesn't change who God is. Your, 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 your ability to get your head around things or the way that you perceive him, even if it's been for years and years and years and years, it doesn't change who God is. He's still God. Even if you've imagined him to be a certain way, act a certain way, do a certain thing, he's still God. Let me explain. I was, um, as a kid, I grew up in a very religious household. My dad was... Um, um, was an alcoholic, a very abusive, angry, violent man. Um, and I grew up, the year that I was born, actually, was the year that Jesus got a hold of my dad's life and drastically changed him. Uh, to the point that, and we just buried my dad a few months ago, but uh, to the point that the people that got up and eulogized at my dad's funeral talked about a man that I've never met. I never knew this man who was down at the Ipswich Tavern, you know, punching on with the, the army boys. And I never knew this guy. My dad was the preacher. It was so foreign to me. But, but when my dad got saved, he, was, um, he, just want, he, he only knew one way, full on. He was full on for the devil, got saved. He was full on for Jesus. He wanted to do everything that he could for Jesus. Uh, so he had an old pastor um, his old pastor friend, he was quite a religious man, and he said, he said, Ike, my dad, Ike, if you really want to please God, you need to get rid of the TV. Because the TV, it's like a, it's like a sewer pipe from hell. And uh, you need to get rid of it, and it's got nothing good for you. You just need to read the Bible. And uh, so my dad, he wanted to please God, so he, he got rid of the TV. So I grew up with no TV. It was a horrible way to grow up. <laughs> I spent more time at my neighbor's house than I did at our house. But we had no TV because my dad wanted to please God. And uh, it was very sincere, but he just wanted to please God. We had a radio. So our entertainment came through the radio. Uh, we weren't allowed to listen to the FM station. No, nah, because that was the devil's music on there. We could only listen to the AM. Anybody raised in those days back in that? Yeah, that was, that was, man, it was just AM. So my only entertainment as a kid was AM radio. Um, I grew up listening to the AM radio and, and I would listen to the footy. I used to love the footy. But I'd never seen the footy, the rugby league. I'd only listen to it. So everything that they said, I imagined. So when there was this commentator, Peter Wilkins. And Peter Wilkins used to call the footy. And uh, he would describe plays. And I'm just imagining it as a kid. He described Alfie Langer as half the size of any normal man. So I'm imagining like he's, he's like... <laughs> Wow, he's short. <laughs> and one time he was describing the state of origin and Alan Langer steps to the left, takes a field goal, Lang Park explodes. I'm seven years old. I was like, what? Mom. And she said, don't worry about it, Paul. It didn't explode. It's just a figure of speech, you know. I would imagine it. But I imagined what the Broncos looked like. I didn't know. <laughs> I just imagined Steve Renouf. He looked real different in real life. What the Broncos wore, like their color, like I imagined everything. And when I saw things in reality, it was, it was often different. But how many know my imagination didn't change what was in reality? 
my understanding didn't change what was in reality. Years later, in fact, just a few months ago, um, I was cooking dinner because I'm one of those new age men, you know, <laughs> got to cook and got to clean. <laughs> it's tough, eh? <laughs> eh? I'm not sure it's even biblical, but whatever. <laughs> we're, we're just doing it. And, uh, keep the wife happy, happy wife, happy life, they say. Um, so I'm cooking and I've got the TV going. I'm, I've got a TV now and I'm still saved. How about that? That's crazy. And we've got the TV going in the other room there and I'm cooking. And I hear this voice on the ABC News, the sports news, right? And I thought, gee, that sounds familiar. I put my head around the corner and had a look. And the guy was signing off just as I stuck my head around the corner. He said, and that's all in the news today. I'm Peter Wilkins. I'll see you next week. And I was like, wait. Peter Wilkins looks different to you. You're not Peter. Peter Wilkins, he's chubbier with a mustache. And then it occurred to me, I've never seen Peter Wilkins. I only ever imagined what Peter Wilkins looked like. (laughs) My imagination, my understanding didn't change who he was. I've got a friend who just walked out of a relationship with God. Because he expected God to do something that he didn't do. He wanted God to do something that God didn't do. And he lost his faith because he, he, he sought God's hand rather than seeking God's face. And when God didn't do what he thought God should do, he lost his faith with God. I was like, bro, don't. Don't give up on that. There's so much we don't know. There's so much we don't understand. But it doesn't change the fact. Even though a loved one may have gone on to heaven and we thought that they should have been healed, but they weren't healed, doesn't change the fact that he's still a healing God. Just because your experience or your understanding doesn't match up with what you see in reality, doesn't change the fact. That God is still God. They're in the room. These people, they're all gathered in this church, if you will. They're gathered there that day. But the person they see is not the person that they understand the Messiah to be. That's just Jesus. The guy we used to play soccer with. That was the guy who ran away from home when he was 12 years old. Should have been a giveaway when he went to church, but... They understood, they knew, the, they knew the humanity of Jesus. And it didn't match up, so they couldn't receive from him. Religion will get you stuck. So they're there and they're, they're stuck in this church. And Jesus, God, manifest in flesh, is there. And the Bible says that he's willing to heal, but no healing is going on. He is stuck. Did you know that we can stifle a move of God because of our faith and expectation? We can, we, can, we can really release the power of God into a meeting if we have great faith and expectation. They're there and they've, they've got no faith in Jesus and they're not expecting anything from him. So he's stuck in their unbelief. You know, everybody's been given a measure of faith. Everybody here. New Christians, old Christians. Doesn't get more as you get older. Still the same. It's a measure of faith that you have. But you know what changes things? 
is the atmosphere. Faith is like mercury in a thermometer. It's all the same, right? But when the atmosphere changes, when it warms up, the volume changes in the thermometer. So what we do, what we need to do, is create an atmosphere of faith and expectation. See, we didn't come to church here today just to, just to get together, sit in a dark room that's nice and cool, look at some pretty lights, um, listen to some good music, sing a little kumbaya together. No, we came here because we're expecting God to do something. I don't know about you, but I didn't get up at 5.30 this morning and get on my knees and start praying, God, give me a word for this church today just because I want to sound good and just because I want, to, I want an Instagram pic, like an action shot or something. I came here because I'm expecting something to happen. I'm expecting lives to change. I'm expecting broken people to be put back together again. I'm expecting marriages that have fallen apart to be put back together. I'm expecting wayward children to come back to God. I'm expecting someone to be lit on fire for God. I'm expecting something to happen today. And when your expectation lifts, you release God to be able to do what he wants to do, what he's there, what he's present to do. And he's in the house today and he's willing to heal. They're there and and, and the expectation has him stifled. They are stuck in their religion. He's stuck in their unbelief. And there's a man outside who's crippled, and he's stuck. He's paralyzed. He can't do anything. He can't move if he wants to move. He's he's stuck. He's stuck. And stuck people can't help stuck people. Because stuck people are stuck. Stuck people need unstuck people to help stuck people get unstuck. The church, who should have been there to help him, they're stuck in their unbelief. Jesus, who was there and willing to help him, couldn't get to them because he was stuck in people's unbelief. And this could have been this guy's one chance, one chance to be healed. But everyone was stuck, except for four people. I'm pretty sure the Bible says they came from Forever House. Four people who weren't just the church at church, but they were church outside of church. Are you just the church when you come to church? Or are you the church when you leave the church? Because this world needs people who are going to go to them because they're stuck. And the world needs some people who are unstuck to reach the stuck people out there in the pubs and the clubs and the football fields and the the cities and the suburbs and the streets and the highways and the byways. It takes unstuck people to reach stuck people and get them to Jesus who can get them unstuck. Sadly, sadly, that most Christians become become, uh, so comfortable in church. They say that you're most effective in the first 18 months after being saved. 
Because then what happens is your, your social circles and your friends all get caught up in church and now you're just friends with all Christians and, and, and hang out with all Christians and, and there's a world out there that's stuck, that needs to get unstuck and you're their only chance. You're their only hope to get them into the presence of Jesus and get them unstuck. So he's there, paralyzed man, stuck wanting to be in church, wanting to be in the presence of Jesus, but, but he's stuck. And then four people come over and help him out. You know what? You need a community. You can't do it on your own. If you're going to get unstuck, you're going to need a community. You're going to need the church to help you reach the stuck and get them unstuck. One person couldn't have got that guy on a stretcher. Have you ever tried to carry a stretcher by yourself like one person? It's difficult. You need a community. So I'm going to give you three things that will keep you unstuck, get you unstuck. You ready? The first thing is you need a community. I'm going to give you four. Just added a bonus one in there for you. You need to be in community. So they go there and and these four people, they they pick the stuck man up and they, they don't just... They don't just have a little kumbaya there by themselves. They take him to church. They take him to church. Hey, even when the church has problems, even when the church is filled with religious people, it's still the place that you've got to be. It's still the place that you go to. It's where, it, it, this is God's idea, not man's idea. So they take, him, they take him to church. And how many know that churches have problems? Every church has problems. They take this guy to church. They got him in their, the, the four of them. The unstuck people are carrying the stuck man to church. And the Bible says that they get to the front door of the church. And the church is meant to be for the lost, the wounded, the hurting, the broken. And they can't even get in the front door because people are stuck in their religion. In fact, no one's even making room in the church for the man who needs to get in there into the presence of Jesus because they're stuck in their religion and they're stuck there and they're there and there are four people carrying them who are unstuck from forever house and they're they're carrying this man on the stretcher and they try to bring him to church but, but religion has them stuck at the door. Here's the second thing. Here's the second point. Don't get stuck at the door of disappointment. Don't get stuck at the door of disappointment. You've got to get over it. You've, you've got to get over it. So many people go, well, I tried that one time. I tried to bring my friend to church. I tried to evangelize. I tried to reach, uh, and it didn't work because the church, they stopped me at the door. You've got to get over it. You've got to, that person that you've been inviting to church that hasn't wanted to come to church, don't get disappointed. Don't get discouraged. Keep inviting them to church because the day's coming. You've got to get over it. You've got to help them. You, it's, it's up to you. It's up to the church. You've got to get over it. So they get to the front door. They can't get in the front door. So they're carrying him. They start to walk around the house. They find a ladder. They find a ladder. And they, here, here's number three. Number three. They get to a ladder and they've got to get over it. Two times, yeah? It's, you've got to get over it again. Because sometimes church, church, church people as a young kid, church people broke my heart. The reason why I didn't want to go to church in my teenage years was because of church people, because of religion. Yeah. 
but it was the best place for me to be, but I felt like I couldn't go because I didn't fit in. And it was church people who made it so difficult for me. But I had to get over it. I had to get over it. And disappointments come. In this life, you will have trouble. There will be problems. But you can get over it. And guess what? When another problem comes up, when that brother at church goes, hey, uh, nah, you can't sit there. That's, that's for me. That's for my future wife. <laughs> I'm, I've got this blank seat by faith. right? And you get offended. Oh, I'm sorry, bro. And you get offended by that. You, you just got to get over it. Because people in church are going to disappoint you. People in church are going to break your heart. But you've got to get over it. You've got to get over it. So, they, so they, they get to the front door. They get over it. They get to the, to the side to where the ladder is. And, and that's more difficult because have you ever got four people on a stretcher up one ladder? It's difficult. Some things are difficult to get over. Especially the second time. The third time someone offends you. And you've you got to get over it again. They get up onto the roof finally. They get up onto the roof. And if the band want to come, I'm about to finish. But they get up onto the roof and, and they're there and there's this barrier between them and the solution. There's, there's a, a roof between them and the healing. There's, there's something that's coming between them and the purpose that God's called them for. And here's, here's the fourth point. If you're going to stay unstuck, you've, you've got to break through some things. You've got to break through some things. And the only way I've ever known how to break through something is on my knees. Sometimes there's just no answers. There's just... No solution in the practical, but, but if you just get on your knees before God, say, I don't know how to overcome this addiction. I don't know how to overcome this offense or this hurt or this abuse that someone's caused in my heart that, that keeps bringing up these problems that have me stuck. But Jesus, I'm just going to keep praying. I'm just going to keep giving it to you. I'm just going to stay on my knees until I break through until you break through. And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it takes quite some time. But if you just persist on your knees, you will. You will break through. I don't know how many points I've given you, but when they broke through, here's the final point. They gave it to Jesus. Once they broke through, they gave the problem to Jesus. They gave the stuck person to Jesus. If I could encourage you, that person that you've been praying for and believing for, keep bringing them, keep inviting them, keep calling them, but leave it with Jesus. Because you know what? You, you can't help the stuck person. You can't stop the stuck person from being stuck. All you can do is bring him into the presence of Jesus. Jesus is the one who sets the captives free. He's the one who helps the stuck person get unstuck. He's the answer to their stuckness. 
if there's such a word. I told you I was, I'm going to finish with this. I was, I was raised in a, in, a, in a wonderfully sincere yet very religious household. Um, and it was just because my dad just wanted to please God. He just wanted to do, he just wanted to do his best. And, and he was a little bit misguided with some things. So he was a bit strict. And, and as a young kid, what that did in my heart was, was actually push me further away from God. Uh, religion pushed me further away from God because like God was this guy with a big stick and I used to fall short all the time. I mean, all the time. I was the naughty kid. I'd, I'd, I'd try to be good and do something wrong, you know? And I was just, I, in my mind, I was a disappointment to God and he kept sending me back, back to the start. You're useless, back to the start. And I thought everyone else was good. I thought everyone else was more holier than me. And I, I grew up with this idea. And, and by the time I was 14, I was like, you know what? This, this churchy stuff isn't, isn't for me. It's for other people. It's, um, but it's not for me. So I started to rebel against my mum and my dad. And, um, and at 14, I'd go out and... and Smoke a bit of the green stuff and, and uh, drink the goon bag with the homies. And, uh, and my dad would say, son, um, I don't want you doing that. I don't want you coming back into our house in the state that you're in. And, and, but I'd just rebel against him and, and uh, kept doing it and tried to set curfews, you know, midnight. You've got to be home by midnight. And I'd come home 2 o'clock in the morning and... Um, 15, 16, I was just spent most of the weekends in nightclubs and um, they were pretty relaxed up in Cairns. Like the bouncers weren't very good up there. So <laughs> I don't know how I got in, but I got in. And um, I was just going crazy. I was living this horrible lifestyle and, and I could see, I knew my mum and dad's hearts were breaking and, and to see their son, especially for my dad, who was an alcoholic, to see his son going down that same path. Um, and then one day, one of my dad's pastors, uh, his old pastor came to town and, and, um, and, and he was talking to my dad and they didn't realize, but, but I was in the kitchen and I could hear this conversation that was going on. And, and my dad was saying that Paul, he's, he's gone wayward. We, we don't know what to do. He's out of control. We, we don't know how to control him. And, and the old pastor, the old religious man said, Ike, this is what you have to do. You've got to put him out of the house until he repents. When he repents, then he can come back home. And as a little kid, 14, 15 years old, hearing those words, those religious words, those words that, that had nothing of the love of God in it, broke my heart I ran away from home that night ran away from home and went down just a couple of blocks down the road to my mate Daniel Locke's house it was close and I stayed there at, at Daniel's house for a few days and I, I thought that my mum and dad wouldn't want me because, because of what a stuff up I was and, 
and what a pain in the neck I had been to them and how I was hurting their ministry. And, and, um, and I was lying in the bed at my mate Daniel Locke's house one night and I was lying there and, and I thought, I wonder, I wonder if the light's still on. Because every night that I would go out and, and come back to the house after the curfew, by the back door, my dad would leave a light on. And that light meant there was still room for me. That light meant the door was open. That son, you can come home. And I was lying in this bed and I thought, I wonder, I wonder if the light was on and a few days go past and every night that I went to bed, I thought, surely the light would be off by now. Maybe, maybe dad's really cracked at this time and put his foot down and, and I can't go back home. And, because religion said no, religion said go away. And it was about two o'clock one morning and uh, about two weeks after I'd ran away from home and, and I thought, I'm going to go up to the house. I'm going to... I'm going to go and see if the light's still on. So I jumped on my Melvin Star mountain bike and pedaled up the road. And, and as I came around the corner, I saw the house on the corner. As I came around that corner, I saw a light that was still on. That light meant there was room for me. That light meant that I could come home put my bike against the fence and walked in the house and, and my dad was sitting in his prayer chair that he would always sit in, waiting for his son to come home. So I walked in the door and my dad said, I love you, son. Went into my room and, and my mum was lying in my bed and she got up and gave me a kiss and hopped out of the room. I put my head down on the pillow and the pillow was wet from the tears of someone who didn't get stuck in religion, but someone who just started handing it over to God. We don't know what to do. I'm stuck. I'm stuck for ideas. I don't know how to reach this lost world, but I don't know how to reach that lost loved one, that family member, that wife, that husband, whoever it might be. But, but my mum was just in the bed handing it over to God. God, here you go. You, you take care of it. You're the great one that gets us stuck unstuck. Here, here you go, Jesus. I don't, I don't know what to do with this. And I would like to say that that was the moment that, that I turned my life around, picked up a Bible and went to church that Sunday with my necktie on. But I didn't. I didn't. I was like 14, 15 at that age. And, and it would take till I was 27 years old before I gave my heart to God. But you know, my parents didn't ever get stuck in all of that disappointment. They just kept going. They kept breaking through. They kept getting over things. They just kept giving it to Jesus. And I wanted to encourage you today that those people that you're believing for, the people that you're loving for, the community out here, don't get stuck in disappointment. Don't get stuck in hurt. Don't get stuck in heartbreak. Get over it. Keep giving it to Jesus. Your loved ones will come to Jesus and we'll be healed. Yeah, your, your marriages and those broken relationships will be healed in Jesus' name if you keep giving it to Jesus. So they come and they give it to Jesus. They give this broken, lame man, crippled man to Jesus. And they put him there. And when Jesus sees their faith, your faith, when Jesus sees your faith, he forgave the sins 
of the person that was broken and stuck, then Jesus says this, take up your bed and go back to your house. Don't get stuck in church. Bro, I know you're a new Christian. Man, you've got to stay connected with some of your old friends. Be an example to them. Talk to them about Jesus. And they may knock you. They may pay out on you, bro. They may say, just come to the club with us. No, I don't have to go to the club, bro. But I'm here for you. I'm here for you. You've got to stay. He said, take up your bed. Take up that thing and go back to your house. Because, you know, that, that bed that he was carrying was his testimony of where he used to be stuck, the thing that used to have him bound. You know, you know yeah, yeah. Those drugs used to have a hold of you, used to have you bound, but he set you free from that. Those cigarettes used to have a hold of your life, but God can break that off your life. Alcoholism, God can break it off your life. That disappointment and rejection and hurt and the words and the abuse that's happened in your life, God can break that off your life. And the people that have seen you from afar, they're going to say, wow, we haven't seen anything like this before. What, you man, you're a preacher? You're a preacher of the God? We haven't seen anything like this before. I used to see you taking drugs with a needle in your arm, man, and now you're a man of God. We haven't seen anything like this before. Come on, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? God wants to get you unstuck today. I don't know what's got you stuck, but God's going to set you free. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what it is that has you stuck. But if that's you today, I wonder, I don't even know if this is the custom in your house, but I'm going to do it anyway and I'll apologize later. But if you found your relationships stuck, your walk with God stuck, if you're stuck in addiction or stuck in negative words and a negative mindset that people have spoken over you or done to you or caused you, and you have found yourself stuck today, I wonder if you would take a step forward to this altar. I'd love to stand with you and pray with you. I know some of our leaders, if you would come around these people, if you would start to pray with them and, 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 and declare the goodness of God over their lives, yeah. Yeah, because people are going to leave here unstuck today. And you're not just going to leave here unstuck. You're going to go back to your house and you're going to be a testimony, an example to those that are stuck and help get them unstuck by handing them over to Jesus. Amen. Come on, band. Why don't we sing? Leaders, why don't you pray with some of these people around here? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.